In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, welcome to Mayflower. It's my privilege to introduce a recent retiree. This, this is what we do in retirement, Steve. Steve is uh, going to be preaching today. We're looking forward to that. And uh, I get to serve as his liturgist. Um, one of the great joys in my life has been getting to know Steve and developing a rapid and deep friendship and having someone to discuss theological changes with. So, Steve, welcome this morning. Good to see you. Good morning. Last week, the August newsletters went out, so you should have received one of these in the mail. If you did not, and you do wish to be on our mailing list, if you will take a moment today and put your name as well as your address on the friendship register, we would appreciate that. Every week, that information gets entered into our database so that we try to keep it as accurate as possible. And if you're online, you can enter the information online or call the church office as well. Please take a moment to look at the announcements in the bulletin. I encourage everyone to find an up group to be a part of the events in August, to meet Pastor Sean and his family, and to come together again after the summer. We are still taking school supplies for Potter's House. If you bring them to the church during the week or here on a Sunday morning, you can put them on the cart right inside the portico. Pastor Sean will officially be joining our staff tomorrow. So we're all very excited. As a way for Sean and his family to get to know us, he has put aside all of his lunch times on Tuesdays and Thursdays and dinners from September to December that he would like to have the goal of meeting with everyone during those times. So we have created a sign-up genius that you can find either on our website or after the service there will be a Mayflower staff member at the welcome area that will help you sign up. We hope that you all will take the time to do that. And now I'd like to invite Julia. As we look forward to our choirs and our other music groups coming back in the fall, I just want to put in a word of encouragement to all of you um, and invite you to be a part of either our chancel choir or our handbell choir, our children, our youth. That's a wonderful way to have a small community within our large Mayflower family. And uh, this coming Wednesday and next Wednesday at 3.30, we have a pickup summer handbell group that will be playing here on the 21st of August. So if that's something that would interest you, please come see me after the service. We, we have a nice-sized handbell choir uh, for the next couple weeks, but we can always use more. So let me know if you'd like to ring. About today's music, um, I would like to highlight the postlude. I know there's a wave, a ways between now and the time you'll hear that postlude. Um, it's by J.S. Bach, and it is uh, subtitled Sub Comunione. It's a, it's a chorale uh, setting of Jesus Christus Unser Heiland, which translates as Jesus Christ our Savior. Uh, it's a text by Martin Luther. And um, it is subcomunione means that in Weimar and Leipzig where Bach worked, it would have been played during the time that you're coming forward for communion. Um, but I will be playing it afterwards. And um, I, I'm especially taken by the way that Bach takes uh, um, uh, from the text the sense of, of Christ's suffering during Holy Week and on the cross and he depicts that musically. So uh, the chorale tune is in the pedal, uh, but it begins kind of low in the range in the organ and the, in the manuals. And then the middle section to really depict that suffering of Christ, all these chromatic ascending and descending lines that are, are striking uh, just 
for being chromatic, but also the harmonies that they create from that chromaticism. And then in the last section of the chorale, he bursts into an E major and the ascending quick notes, which uh, depict Christ's resurrection. sit out a couple of months, I forget what I'm supposed to do. We're called here this morning to worship. We're called here in the presence of mercy and in the presence of love. We're called here to be comfortable in mystery. We're called here to love. As we answer this call, Let us worship in spirit and truth. Let us pray. Gracious and Holy One, we long to worship in spirit and truth. We come here this morning with many different thoughts, many different needs, many different opportunities to serve you, and many who need to be served. 
Let us feel your presence now. Let us taste and touch you now. Just now, Lord, in spirit and truth. Amen. Throughout this summer, during this time of our service, we have been doing Did You Know? And I have a little friend with me this morning that's going to help me out. Come on up, Marco. So today's symbol within the church, you're going to have to put on your magnifying glasses. Because Marco and I are going to go up here to the cross. And we're going to look within the square box in the middle of the cross. The symbol that is in the four corners, if you look way up, Marco, that symbol is called the Fleur de Lis. And this symbol has been found in artwork dating back to the beginning of human civilization. Sometimes this symbol was seen as an iris because in the River Lys, which is located in France and Belgium, there are fields and fields of iris. And so royalty would put that symbol onto their family crests and onto all their royal garb. But this symbol has also been looked at as a lily. And in the church, the symbol of a lily represents the trinity because there are three leaves or petals that are tied together with a ribbon or um, a string. And so if you recall, the I, the H, and the S in the middle of the cross, those are Jesus' initials. And so um, the arrows of the cross, Marco, if we look right up, do you see the arrows going in? They're going towards Jesus' initials. And um, they all point to the Fleur de Lis, suggesting that Jesus' incarnation means the Trinity. And so then, I have one last question, Marco. If we're looking up here at Jesus' name, which is the I, the H, and the S, and we have an arrows coming all the way down the cross, what do the arrows point to that we have right here on the table? The Bible. And so all of this symbolism together represents Jesus being the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, and we bring it into the Word of God. So will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful for all the ways that you show us who you are in symbols and in history, and we thank you for this place of worship that holds so much mystery within it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, buddy, you are going to head to Sunday school with Mrs. Houlihan.
The first scripture reading for this morning is from Philippians, chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The next reading is from John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. This can be found on page 764 of your Pew Bible. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. The word of the Lord. Good morning. A college student in one of the great universities of our land, I'm not sure it was in the state of Michigan, uh, came to his senior year and he decided he wanted to take an easy course. Uh, something, you know, light, so they could have a little more fun when he was out of the classroom. Did you ever do that? Okay. So he looked through the course offerings, and he found a course uh, in orientology, bird watching. And he thought, well, I know the difference between a cardinal and a robin. That can't be hard. So he signed up for orientology. Well, it was not an easy course. With the field trips and the films they had to watch and the study of all of the different species. You know, there are eight 
18,000 species of birds. He found it to be laborious, boring, tiresome. And when the final exam came, he entered the exam room in a foul mood. Uh, And to his chagrin and surprise, the exam wasn't the normal exam. He had a piece of paper, and on it were pictures of 25 different bird legs. And the exam was to identify the species by looking at the bird legs. Well, he just, he flipped out. He took his paper up to the professor's desk, threw it down on the desk, and said, This is the worst class I have ever taken in this exam. No one can pass it. I refuse to take it. The professor looked at him and said, But nevertheless, that's the exam. You must take it. He said, No way. And he turned and began to march out of the room. And the professor uh, looked at him and hollered out, Well, then you're going to fail. Tell me your name. The young man turned around, rolled his pant legs up to his knees and said, You tell me. And walked out. Well, now, we don't identify each other by our legs. At least we hope not, huh? We identify people by their physical uh, nature. And if you were to identify me, it would be old, bald, feeble, things like that. We identify each other relationally. I am a husband. I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, and I'm a friend, many. Uh, we identify ourselves vocationally. I am a pastor, retired for a month. If we identify ourselves by our interest, and I was talking to you, we have to spend a lot of time talking about the Atlanta Braves and the Oregon Ducks. If we identified ourselves spiritually, which you do, I'm a Christian. Many of you, maybe all of you, are as well. I've been reading a little book um, by a one-time professor at Calvin University who went uh, after teaching at Calvin to be the president of Fuller Seminary out in uh, Pasadena, California. And uh, he talks about how he identifies himself. He said, "Uh, I am a human being, and I find being a human being the best thing for me to do Oh, excuse me. He says, and I find that being a Christian is the best way for me to be a human being. And I find that being a Protestant, he says, is the best way to be a Christian. And being Reformed, whatever that means, is the best way for me to be Protestant, he says. And being a Calvinist is the best way for me of being Reformed. And so he wrote an interesting little book, did Richard Mao, called Calvinism at the Las Vegas Airport. You might pick it up sometime if you can't. How do we identify who we are? The Apostle Paul, he said, the best way to describe me, he would say, my identity, is that I am in Christ. That passage that was read in Philippians 3, he said, I got all these other things, the identifying marks of my life. I was a Pharisee. I kept the law. I did all sorts of things. I was born just right, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But that doesn't matter at all. What matters and what I want to be known as is that I live in Christ. If we were to ask the Apostle Paul to describe us at Mayflower. I don't think he'd say, well, the best way would be that you are Reformed or Protestant or Congregational or Classical or Liturgical or whatever. He would say the best way to describe you, if indeed you are a Christ follower, is that you are in Christ. In his writings, in the letters in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses that little phrase, in Christo, in Christ, 164 times. Wow, I mean, that's a lot in those 14 letters. And I think um, it, the frequency of it kind of demands that we stop and, and we look at the reality of that. I mean, what does that mean? For Paul, Jesus Christ 
was the very center of reality. One of those in Christ statements in 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Everything new. Paul would say, if the cosmos were suddenly to become articulate, or maybe a better way to say, if we could hear with these human ears the articulation of this cosmos, then from north and south and east and west would cry out the chorus, we exist to be in Christ. The name of Christ would issue from sea to shining sea. It would be tapped out in the pattering rain. It would be written in the skies by the lightning. Storms would roar the name of Christ, and the mountains would echo it back. The sun's fierce nuclear furnace would blaze it out. The whole universe is full of Jesus Christ. We can live in Christ. And I want to suggest that we will spend our lives and all eternity discovering the glory of that very fact that we are in Christ. Jesus, on the last night, he is with his disciples. And the shadow of the cross, that night when they inaugurated the Lord's table. In John 15, he has this tender word for them, tender but firm. Remain in me. Or many translations, abide in me. The word in the passage that was read from John 15, the word is meno. And it comes up nine times in that text. And the picture is in the vineyard, as we have on the cover of the bulletin, that just as the branch abides, gets life, lives in the vine, Jesus says, your life in me is designed to be like that, that you draw life and vitality and meaning. The word means to dwell, to rest. And it implies a continuing relationship. Take up residence there. Abide, remain, be in me. It's interesting, on that last night, Jesus doesn't direct them to any particular doctrine or practice or worship style or political view. He calls them just to be in Him. He doesn't say, if you, if you do that, if you abide and remain in me, you're going to all look alike. You're all going to talk alike. You're all going to act alike. You're all going to vote alike. No. We abide in Christ when we accept him at the core of our being. When we receive his love as our deepest value, his forgiveness as our truest model, his presence as our deepest reality. This same Jesus who was with the disciples in the upper room who met Paul on the road to Damascus. He has been with those who abide in him down through the ages. He was with Latimer and Ridley in the fire as they were burnt at the stake in Oxford. He was with Livingston as he traversed the continent of Africa. And he is with you and me today. And he will be with Sean as he takes residence in Grand Rapids with his family and enters his new office tomorrow. He is with the staff of Mayflower and council and committees and children's workers and youth workers. 
He would be with you and me, living in us every day of our lives. This same Jesus who met the disciples that night in the upper room, he still moves with us. He moves through the world in the greatness of his love. He still meets the troubled heart with the divine promise, I am with you always. This very moment, the Spirit of the living Christ is with us, in us, giving us breath and life and love. I want to conclude my thoughts with the words of one of my heroes, a man by the name of John R.W. Stott. He was pastor for decades of All Souls Church in downtown London, England, author of 60 to 70 books, international leader of the church through the late 20th century, a man who I had the privilege of meeting and spending a week, my family, in the same um, cabin that he occupied while we received his ministry for the week. And to my delight, he is one person who I, I looked to as a model and appreciated everything about him. And when I got to know him, it just all rang true. Full of grace and love. Wonderful scholar. A number of years ago, he gave his final message at the Keswick uh, Conference Grounds in England. And he said these words. I want to share with you where my mind has come to rest as I approach the end of my pilgrimage on earth. And it is. God wants his people to become like Christ. Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. And then Dr. Stott expounded three passages that I just want to read the passages and make a one-sentence comment. In Romans 8.29, it says, God has predestined his people to be conformed to the image of his son. The message paraphrase of that is God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. So God knew way back in the very beginning He decided from the outset. He acted in the past with the goal of shaping us like his son. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. Now, that thought is magnificent. We are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's happening now. And that final text that Dr. Stott was 1 John 3 and verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. For we shall see him as he is. At funerals, I often make the statement that heaven, where the one that we've lost now resides, Heaven is to be with Jesus, and heaven is to become like Jesus. But you see, in these texts, there are three perspectives. The past, the present, the future. All of them pointing in the same direction. God's eternal purpose 
something that he decided in the beginning. God's action in our life today. We are being changed and transformed. God's purpose in the future, the final eschatological purpose of God in our life, is that we be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. All three, the eternal, the contemporary, and the future, point to the same end, Christ's likeness. This, I suggest, is the purpose of God for the people of God. God's purpose for you and for me to be like Jesus Christ. May we live in the glory of that. Amen. I have discovered a new tool at home that has changed my cleaning routine. It's called a Swifter Duster. Have you heard of it? It's a stick that's about three feet long, and you put a fluffy thing on top of it. And then it amazingly does pick up the dust, and it locks it in, just like the ad says. This tool has helped me make dusting feel fun and has put my focus on the outcome rather than the task at hand. God shares in the Bible that tithing is a tool. Matthew 6.21 states, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we give of our time, our talents, and our finances, our hearts and our lives are changed in ways that we wouldn't be possible without the treasure of tithing. As we give, our focus stops revolving around ourselves and instead shifts to the people and the world around us. May each of us act upon the tool of tithing as we are able so that we can always live as a blessing wherever God has placed us.
Please be seated. As we partake of this holy meal today, the ushers will dismiss you by rows to come forward. We will hand you the bread in Christ's name, and you can come up and take the cup. You can consume it at the time. You can take it back to your seat. You can consume it as you walk. It doesn't matter. What matters is what Steve just said, that we are in Christ. That's what the Eucharist is, the celebration, the giving of thanks. So we invite you to come to this table today. Come from the north and come from the south. Come from the east and come from the west. Young, old, woman or man, Gentile or Jew, gay or straight, Republican or Democrat, come to this table, come to the feast, come and celebrate, come and be in Christ. Let us pray. Gracious Creator and Redeemer, you now call us to your table. As we partake now of these gifts, we remember that greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down their life for a friend. Living Christ, thank you for this meal that nourishes our bodies and spirit. By feasting on this bread of life and sharing in the cup of salvation, we remember that you abide in us and we in you. In this congregation and in our world, give strength to the suffering, hope to the faint, Bring peace to those brutalized by war and vulnerable to hate. We look to the day when your glory and your love will fill your whole creation and ask that even this day your peace would grow in our hearts and throughout this world. Holy mystery, companion to us through all things, Thanks be to you for your sustaining love. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Ministering to you in the name of Christ, we share the bread. And in the same manner, the scriptures tell us that after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is a new covenant, a new understanding, a new commitment of my love to you. And Paul would say, As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. A table prepared for you. We invite you to come.
a spiritual feast. Amen. Please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We have been to the table of the Lord. Christ is with you. Christ is in you. Abide in Him. He lives today. May His joy and His love, His hope and His peace go with you all. In His name. Amen.